Welcome to Climate Fix Podcast. Here we dive into evidence-based solutions to climate change and various other pressing environmental issues. This podcast is created by Americans for Nuclear Energy, a pro-nuclear environmental organization. We take no money from industry or special interest groups. All donations are from individuals like you, interested in a grassroots scientific movement to solve the world's most pressing scientific problem, global climate change. We hope you approach these ideas with humanism and an open mind. Our mission statement is as follows. Nuclear energy is safe, cheap, plentiful, clean, and efficient. It has the capability to stop and reverse climate change while addressing the ever-growing demand for electricity globally. We strive to educate American citizens about this technology and to dispel misconceptions with facts. We firmly believe that both human civilization and industrialism can easily coexist with a healthy environment. Join us in helping to plan a prescription for a feverish planet, or as we like to say, a climate fix. This is your host, Phil Ord. And this is your co-host, DJ LeClear. The name of this episode is called Beyond the Oil Rig. Here, we talk to Americans for Nuclear Energy's own team member and podcast producer, Jonna Adams, about her technology company she started called Poseidon Atomic Energy Corporation. Poseidon Atomic's goal is to create huge, incredibly energetic nuclear reactor platforms at sea dedicated to the synthesis of large amounts of zero net emission hydrocarbon fuel as an alternative to oil extraction and refining. The hope is to make the production of gasoline, diesel, or jet fuel as cheap or cheaper than fuels derived from petroleum. Because this synthesized fuel is made from a feedstock of carbon dioxide gas, it would produce zero net emissions after burning. Poseidon atomic fuel could replace the petroleum-based fuels in transportation, therefore helping to decarbonize the sector. Here's a little bit about Jana. Jana Adams was born and raised in Flint, Michigan, an auto manufacturing town that was the heart of the automotive manufacturing industry. She joined the Marines right out of high school and served in the Corps for seven years. She went on to college at the University of Michigan and studied science and business. For the last 20 years, she has worked in various businesses in her sales career. Jana has been a big part of the online community, advocating for nuclear, and volunteers here at Americans for Nuclear Energy as the Climate Fix podcast editor and producer. In early 2020, Jana started Poseidon Atomic Energy Corporation, a C-Corp, which we will be talking about today. Awesome. Jana is a very hardworking person and does so much for our organization. It takes a lot of time and skill to produce a podcast, so we are in debt to her. Jana has been a tireless advocate for nuclear power as the only way to really bring about deep cuts in carbon emissions. She is a no-nonsense climate activist and has her eye on the prize, total decarbonization of all sectors of the economy. This is why she is focused on the vision of Poseidon Atomic, which would help decarbonize the part of the economy that will be the hardest, transportation. She truly wants to find a replacement for oil that does not add extra greenhouse gas to the atmosphere. That's great. It's incredible to know such forward-thinking and solutions-oriented people. Not many people sit down to think about decarbonizing transportation fuels by chemical synthesis using clean energy. This is a really good idea, as it will be hard to convert all transportation to electric. 
We will need liquid hydrocarbons for a while yet, so making them carbon neutral would be truly groundbreaking and extremely useful. Hopefully we can get to a point where we can produce all the carbon neutral synthetic fuel we want without ever drilling for oil again. Jana's vision is a glimpse of such a future. Super excited to hear what she has to say. This seems like a really cool idea and right up our alley. For sure. Well, without further ado, here's our conversation with Jana. Jana, it's good to have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Jana, uh, what is the mission of Poseidon Atomic Energy Corporation? Well, to put it in a nutshell, I would describe it as a nuclear-powered uh, chemical company. Is essentially what it is. It would be a world's first. But the mission is to uh, utilize nuclear energy to sequester CO2 out of the ocean and from that synthesize hydrocarbons such as gasoline, uh, diesel, kerosene, or possibly some other fuel types. Would that include uh, ammonia? Possibly. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've been hearing a lot about ammonia, I think, from, our, from the past episodes on Anne. I'm not really sure how big the ammonia economy is, but I can tell you that gasoline sold 14 billion gallons in this country alone. So market share-wise... You know, gasoline has the, the, the largest potential for growth. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> switching over, like, ships to ammonia. Um, I mean, I, I think there may be some, some, some benefits to that. It may be, like, relatively easier to synthesize pneumonia. But the downside is that pneumonia is extremely toxic to uh, the marine environment. So if there's a fuel spill, uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous on a level that's beyond a hydrocarbon that's getting spilled into the ocean. Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can concur with that. I used to handle that when I was working in, on, on ships, adding it to, to uh, reactors, actually. <laughs> that stuff's nasty. Bad news bears. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what what gave you the inspiration to, uh, or for starting a company with such a bold mission? The need, you know, the, when they talk about solving climate change, um, it's almost solely focused on the electric grid. Okay, and the electric grid, the electric the electricity consumption accounts for about 25% of the world's total energy usage. And that's maybe even being a bit generous. <laughs> In the United States, it's about 35%. So if you're only addressing 25 to 35% of the energy consumption in 
you know, changing the, the calculus for how, you know, how we stop climate change, you know, settling on the electric grid is not good enough. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's sure. beyond just like, uh, automobiles. It's, it's beyond just getting in your car and driving around or riding the bus, you know, there's manufacturing, the entire, it, it, it's, it just baffles me how people are oblivious to the fact that all manufacturing of all the goods and services that, that we consume is all powered by fossil fuel right now. And there is absolutely no plan in place. There's not even one iota of, of thought from... COP25, the Paris Accords, all the chatter from all these people who are completely alarmed about climate change. Nobody mentions manufacturing. Right. And it's just mind-boggling. You know, when, when, when they produce a, a solar panel, that solar panel was produced with fossil fuel. You know, it, it starts with with mining materials. So, you know, you've got some sort of heavy machinery to dig up sand. The sand has to be processed into a pure form of, of the, the right type of sand to turn it into um, glass or what have you, uh, silicate, okay? And then it goes through an, an entire process in a factory to turn the sand into a solar panel. And that whole process is, is done electronically. And that electricity is generally being produced with coal power. Okay. Over 65% of the solar panels that we buy in this country come from China. And China is ramping up their coal production. The, the lion's share of their electricity is powered by coal. So if we want to buy a bunch of solar panels from China, we're just offloading our carbon footprint to China through their manufacturing. And then and they get loaded onto a ship and, and sent over here. And, and we feel good about putting these things up but they only produce power two, three hours a day. I think you bring up a good point about how we focus so much on electricity when uh, we have transportation fuel, which is not going to go away anytime quickly. And, you know, we need to find a way to decarbonize that. And how do we, how do we do that? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of mind boggling. Um, so the idea of Poseidon, you know, why we need companies like Poseidon Atomic to make mines and factories and the whole base of, of the manufacturing economy actually carbon neutral. And it's powered with carbon neutral synthetic fuels. You can produce solar panels carbon neutral. You can produce batteries carbon neutral. You can produce shirts and shoes and whiskey and everything else that you want to produce carbon neutral with carbon neutral synthetic fuels. But on a massive global scale, we're introducing all this extra CO2 into the atmosphere. One third of it every single year is 
being absorbed into the ocean. So there's what they call the, the Great Dying, which was half a billion years ago. You know, that was an entire process where uh, massive amounts of CO2 were, when it were ejected into the atmosphere. The ocean became hypoxic. That means that there wasn't enough oxygen in the ocean to support the life that was in the ocean. And there's, there's, a, there's certain types of bacteria that live in the ocean at all, all times, but they're kind of tamped down. As the ocean becomes more hypoxic, this certain type of bacteria grows. And there's examples of it. They call it a red tide. It's, it's a natural thing. But as the ocean becomes more hypoxic, it's becoming a more regular occurrence in places like Florida. You don't want to be anywhere around near a red tide because it emits something called hydrogen sulfide, which is poisonous. They use it in chemical weapons. But if, if we continue on this gangbusters approach to putting CO2 into the atmosphere and more of the CO2 gets absorbed in the ocean, you know, eventually it's going to reach a point of saturation. So that, you know, everyone's concerned about rising air temperatures, things like shifting climate zones, the ice caps melting, which, which is alarming. It's, it's not something to make light of, but the, the worst the, the thing that we're really kind of ignoring is the dangers of an ocean becoming more acidic. Right. So the mission of, of, of Poseidon Atomic is to, to cut off the need to extract hydrocarbons from the Earth's crust. Instead, just remove them out of the ocean and eliminate the need to... To drill for oil. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, so what's the current status of your company right now? So I, I, I filed for a C corporation in the state of Oregon uh, almost exactly a year ago. And so I was kind of like in my bootstrap phase, is what they call it. And then COVID hit. So at the, yeah. at the moment, yeah. you know, I, I, I was, I, at that point, I was pretty much in survival mode. So I, uh, I I ended up going to moving to Michigan, uh, stay with some family for a while, and then after I got my federal relief uh, for small businesses unrelated to Poseidon Atomic, uh, related to a different business, um, I, I moved down to North Carolina. So now we're we're kind of starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. the The vaccine is is coming out. It's getting distributed. You know, hopefully we can get to some sense of normalcy. Uh, it takes a while. <laughs> it's going to take a while, but I mean, we are going to get there. You know, everything comes and goes and this thing is going to go. Um, so, I, you know, I, we're basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're at the, we're at the, the level of, of still needing to get seed funding. Um, you know, I, I have, I'd file as my... Uh, chief, you know, technical officer. Head, head file of Elysium Industries, right? That's correct. Yeah. Got it. And Good to I'm, tell our listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of working with the CEO of Elysium as well because he has more experience at, at this than I do. I really, I'm, I'm not really looking to be, I'm not really looking to be the you know the the boss or anything like that's not really important to me the the thing that's important to me 
the most is, is to see this vision come true. So if, if being CEO mm-hmm. uh, is what it takes to make that happen, then that's what will happen. If there's somebody out there that I can bring on that will be a better CEO than me, then by all means, I'll, I'll put them in charge. And as long as, as long as they follow the mission of the company, which is to, you know, save the ocean and save humanity. That's, that's the motto of the company. And and whoever needs, you know, comes aboard needs to believe in that and really understand that to the fullest degree. That's awesome. What other, what, what other company can be like, Oh, we're trying to save humanity a lot of, I mean, there's not too many that are up to that challenge. So, um, what is what is your first goal you have set to uh, your next step for um, Poseidon? Like, what's the next step you have in your mind right now? We need to get some seed funding. You know, fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, basically just even the smallest investment would make a huge difference for sure basically i could go full-time and um into raising more money (laughs) (laughs) at that point we need to we need to you know start outsourcing talent in a number of different areas are you gonna are you gonna try uh spitting a proposal to to elon musk for that funding (laughs) yeah i saw that article um i don't know how to get it over to him maybe maybe he's listening to this podcast so i don't know about that but (laughs) (laughs) you never know you know know. got it that's you at least got the paperwork filed that's a good step yeah c corporation uh you know it's it's uh kind of in between you know it's it's not an llc okay an llc is basically a self-proprietary, as far as IRS is concerned, you're a self-proprietor if you're an LLC. A C corporation is one level below an S corp. When you're an S corp, you can sell shares on the stock mm. exchange and things like that. So we can't do that, but we can sell shares on private side. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, switching gears a little bit here, but uh, so what gave you the idea uh, uh, of an offshore platform? So the idea of sequestering uh, CO2 and hydrogen out of the ocean for, and with nuclear energy first uh, came to my head from an article that I read uh, that was written about the Naval Research Lab. This is like, mm-hmm. I don't know, eight years ago or something like that now. And it was very intriguing. I, like when I, when I remember the first time I saw the headline, I had to like reread it because it was it was from a, a very technical publication. I can't remember which one it was, but I'm like diesel from seawater. What? Yeah, I it think didn't I, make any I remember sense. which one that is. Yeah. Or, or, or being able to refuel your jet fighters at yeah. sea instead of having a big tanker come and fill you up. Yeah. So that was very intriguing. But when I got to the, the very bottom of the article, I remember they were saying, that they were estimating that the, the price of their fuel was going to be about 8 to $12 a gallon. Oh. I'm like, oh, that's never going to work on a massive economic scale. So, you know, it, it just kind of registered in my mind, well, that sounds like a really neat experiment, but somehow we need to figure out how to do it cheaper. I've got no idea how to do that, but so I just moved on with my life. 
But I, when I started getting involved with the the nuclear advocacy side of things a few years ago, um, I had the, the pleasure of uh, you know talking, you know, exchanging ideas and, and kind of you know talking with uh, different people through social media, and then I came across that file, and um, you know his reactor really kind of set my mind on fire because, you know, I'm like, wow, this guy's got a reactor that number one, it runs off of garbage. Okay. Nuclear waste. That's pretty cheap fuel. Right. And number two, when you fuel it, you don't have to fuel it again for four decades. Jeez. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that has to make a huge impact because here's the thing when you, when, if you're going up against a oil rig. Okay. If you think about it, an oil rig, is powered by fossil fuel. It's got to run a pump. It's got to pump the oil up, and then somehow it's got to get the, the oil to shore. So it's, it can either do it through a pipeline or it can load it onto a ship and, and, and ship it back to shore. The, the, and then when it gets to the shoreline, you know, it, it gets refined. And that whole refinery process, that's all done with heat. And that heat is generated by burning other more fossil fuel. It's kind of ironic you know, that your, your gasoline that you're putting in your car already has a carbon footprint yeah. before you even burn it because there's this whole process of getting it. So that's kind of the secret sauce with, with our company, you know, using an Elysium reactor, you know, we don't have to fuel it every four years like other reactors. So an offshore platform would, like having it all on one platform, like you don't have to worry about all those transportation costs. You can just produce gasoline or whatever hydrocarbons you want on site. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's basically, we would be able to do two for one, you know, right there on the spot, you know, because we don't have to, I mean, we'll have to pump a lot of water, a lot, like 120,000 gallons per minute. That actually kind of answers my, my next question is, which is why is the ocean a good place to put uh, such a piece of equipment? So the advantages of doing it out, out at sea are, there's a lot. For one, when you're building stuff on land, you know, it doesn't matter what you're building. You could build, you know, high rise or you could build a shopping mall or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. You, no matter what you're building, you always have to take into consideration, you know, what you're building on, you know, what's, what's the bedrock, you know, what, what's the, where are the runoff situations? There's all of these basic engineering things that go into building anything on land. Okay. So it's really hard to, to, to duplicate the exact same contraption if you have that variable that's constantly unique in every single location that you're in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is why reactors can get so expensive. You're basically doing new designs each time. For the and you have no, location. you have no choice because you, if you're like, if you're cooling off of a, you know, a river, you know, that river is completely unique. There's no exact shoreline that's going to be like that anywhere else in the world. So there's, it's always going to be a unique situation, but when you're out at sea, it's always going to be the exact same situation, right? So you can build the exact same storm. <laughs> well, I mean, it, whatever it is that we're building, it has to be able to weather a storm, but that's another, another thing too. You know, if, if you look at what they do during hurricanes, if you have a really big ship and it's docked, they get out to you sea. know what they do when it when it, <laughs> when a big storm comes? They put it out to sea because yep. it's actually safer out at sea than it is at the dock. Yep, I've I've had personal experience with that. Like when 
on the carrier when I, when I was on a carrier, they would, yeah, they would take it out to sea during, uh, hurricanes when they hit, you know, instead of, yeah, yeah cause that's really bad to be right docked at <laughs> next to a pier. Yeah. And it's international waters too. So it's, you probably deal with a little bit less regulatory headache too. Yeah, that that's another thing or, or even politically just on a, on a, not in my backyard type of, mm-hmm. Uh, p- political, you know, issue, you know, nobody's going to be showing up, you know, to, to protest. We don't want this nuclear reactor here in my backyard when you're, you know, 200 miles out to sea. Right. And, and, and the reason why being at sea makes so much sense is because the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere dissolves in water and it becomes a little bit more concentrated than trying to pull the carbon dioxide right out of the air. So you're, you're yeah. sitting on your feedstock basically. It's about 15 times more uh, dense in water than it is in the atmosphere. I mean, if, you, yeah. if it makes sense because, you know, if you think about it, water is much more dense than air. And sequestering out of air is actually, it's actually very difficult if you take a look at the contraption that they've invented to sequester CO2 out of the, out of atmosphere. It looks like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There is a... Multiple ways of degasifying. That's the the you know the phrase that they use in water treatment. Degasification. Okay, and there's a number of different method, uh, methods for degasifying uh, CO2. What's a little bit different that we're trying to do is degasify salt water. So there's a little bit of difference there because um, most degasification is you know focus on fresh water. Degasification means removing gas from a liquid. Yeah, it can yeah. be a, a multiple different target gases. But, you know, we're obviously, we're after CO2 and hydrogen. So what kind of chemical process would be used to extract that carbon dioxide and hydrogen from seawater and turn it into hydrocarbon fuel? I mean, it's relatively simple. I mean, you know, removing the CO2, you know, it's it's a process called degasification. Um, there's a number of ways of approaching degasification. I kind of have my, my eyes set on a product by uh, 3M. So it's something that we could just go and buy right now. It's not like something that we have to invent. Okay. And then the other part of it is, you know, uh, extracting the hydrogen, you know, that's basically, that's basic high school chemistry experiment stuff. Just, just cracking off the hydrogen with electricity. It's a little bit more challenging with salt water, but it, it has to be with salt water. We, I, I want to avoid, you know, having to resort to going to fresh water as much as possible because then we're talking about desalinization and when you, you know desalinization requires energy. So if I start putting more you know, more into desalinization and expend more energy, I will I will do it if that's if there's no better way of doing it because honestly I don't really need that much hydrogen for every 120,000 gallons of water that I pump. I just need a fraction because I just need the right ratio of hydrogen to meet the CO2 extraction from the water. Well, it's a good it's a good thing you're on a uh, big vat of hydrogen rec- rich water, you know. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what was the name of that process? I think you were I, I talked to you sometime earlier about this, but uh, what was the name of it? It was like a special one. There's so there's a the the process of actually synthesizing these gases is called the Fischer-Tropsch process. So basically, mm. from CO two, you 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 take off an oxygen molecule, so then it becomes carbon monoxide, and then from there you run into 
this process called the Fischer-Tropsch process, which has been around for almost exactly 100 years. There's different feedstocks. It's on Wikipedia. I looked at it earlier. You know, there's been different feedstocks. It was most popularized during World War II. Um, I think that it kind of seems like the Germans to this day are probably the biggest experts on it. There, I know there is some talent here on this side of the Atlantic on f the Fischer-Tropsch process as well. So, Do they take advantage of... Or do you take advantage of the heat in the, uh, or at all in the process, like from the reactor? The, so our goal is to get to a 50% conversion rate. So I want to, I want to convert 50% of the heat into fuel. That's, that's the goal. And it's doable because we can do it with electricity. It's doable with electricity. We can do it with, with this. So if we can get higher than 50%, we certainly want to do that. But that's, you know, that's kind of like the baseline goal and kind of where I'm kind of basing my, my production off of. So the, and the best way of doing that is to avoid, you know, converting heat into electricity. So, you know, instead converting heat into mechanical energy like pumps and, and other processes like the, the Fischer-Tropsch process, which involves pressurizing gases and applying heat, like around 250 C. So um, I think you've maybe you have alluded to this a little bit, but uh, uh, what what kind of nuclear reactor would you use, and how much energy would you produce with it? So we're, we're only we're dead set on the Elysium Industries reactor that they're you know, fast spectrum yep. you know, neutron reactor. Because it runs off, <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be that reactor because one, it, it can go up to five gigaw gigawatts, okay, which is, I mean, you can do five gigawatts, you can do a, a reactor out at sea, all right, but you, you can't do a light water five gigawatt reactor out at sea. It's just mm. too big, right? You've got that big mm. containment dome and um, it's, it's just a monster. So this reactor, it's, it's relatively small and powerful. So that's... One, one thing that's really going for it that no other reactor offers. The other is that it runs off of nuclear waste, so our, our fuel costs will be very, very, very low. You're dealing with molten salt, so you, you have access to these really great temperatures. Very high temperatures, yeah. To, to do things like you know, run water pumps and supply plenty of, of heat for the production of the, you know, to, to run the Fischer-Tropsch process. So, you know, some portion of that heat is going to have to be converted into electricity, but it's going to be, you know, a relatively small amount because most uh. of that heat's going to be used for pumping water and running the, the chemical processes. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, it's going to be very, very energy intensive, but what better way to do that than with a five gigawatt, you know, molten salt reactor. Yeah. Know. I mean, five, yeah. five gigawatts is no joke. That's yeah. enough to power a small, like a mid-sized city. Like you could, <laughs> you could definitely produce some hardcore hydrocarbons that way. So, so yeah, I don't think it, you know, it has to be a Elysium reactor. If I, if it, I don't think we can do it with any other reactor, to be honest. Awesome. Yeah. So if people want to check out the Elysium reactor, you can find Elysium Industries online too. Um, so, how much hydrocarbon fuel would one of these platforms with a reactor produce? Okay, so an Elysium reactor can produce, you know, five gigawatts thermal, not electric, okay? So if you convert that into kilowatts, that's, what, five million kilowatts. If we can do a 50% conversion, 
you know, that gives us a, a conversion of, you know, 2,500,000 you know, watts converted into, say, gasoline. Now, one gallon of gasoline equals 34 kilowatts. So if we just divide that, the converted energy, which is 2.5 million kilowatts by, you know, 34 kilowatts, that comes out to, you know, a little over 73,000 gallons per hour. And over a 24-hour period, that's, uh, you know, over 1.7 million gallons per day. And over 365 days, that's, you know, we're talking maximum output, of course, you know, over 600 million gallons per year. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some maintenance time where we're not going to be able to produce at full capacity 365 days, 24 hours a day. So, you know, if we figure in a, a 90% uptime, you know, we're still kind of, you know, around, you know, 550 million gallons per year, maybe 600,000 or 600 million gallons per year. That's a lot of fuel. Just to put that in perspective, yeah. the United <laughs> States of America consumes about 14 billion gallons per year. So if we can produce half a billion gallons per year per reactor, it would take about 28 to 30 of these facilities to produce all of the gasoline for the entire country for a year. Really? That's pretty remarkable. Jeez. I mean, yeah, like 25 facilities in the middle of the ocean of Clayton nuclear power producing zero carbon, you know, uh, hydrocarbon fuels. It's, I mean, no wonder why so many people are interested in this type of thing. Right. And no wonder why everyone's trying to get us diverted over to this bullcrap. Uh, others, you know, think they're trying to tell other non-solutions like, there we go. you know. Disclaimer, uh, we, we support all sources of carbon-free yeah. electricity, but we like some better than others. <laughs> Honestly, like everyone's, you know, trying to tell us like, you know, do methanol or, you know, do this or that, you know, anything but gasoline. So I think there's people that are trying to pull our chains here um, because they're afraid of change. But here, the people that are afraid of change are, are kicking themselves in the, in the butt because, I mean, they're the ones who stand, the people that are the most afraid of this are the ones who actually have the most to gain from it. So if they just open their ears and listen they're going to realize that if you do business this way, you're going to make more money than ever. Okay. And you won't because have all those oil, those oil rig costs. You won't have all those oil rig costs. Look, these things will never run dry. Your oil rigs run dry. Yep. Yeah. You, 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 you hit, you dry up the well and then you got to pick up and go find another spot. This will never run out. You can put this thing down. It will never run out. You don't have to fuel it. It's all, it's it's fueled for four decades. So right. there, I mean, the potential for you know cost overhead savings is massive here. We're talking many many billions of dollars. And I've I've had some other people say, well, how do you do you think that you should be um, getting the the carbon tax? Okay, here's the thing: all energy, no matter where it comes from, is the baseline for the the economy like the only people that aren't partaking in fossil fuel right now are the people there's like some indigenous tribes down in south america there's like a few 
like hermits up in like Siberia, everyone else is consuming energy. Well, yeah. if there was like a carbon price, though, it seems like the idea would be that if you're making zero net emission fuel, that would not be priced, you know, and that could give you an advantage. Um, well, but taxes are taxes. I mean, you, it doesn't matter what you call it. Taxes are taxes. Okay. I, I think we might be talking about two different things here. Like, are you, are you saying that taxes in general are already taxed on carbon? So we don't need a carbon tax. Uh, I'm kind of confused. I'm not, I, mean, I don't care. You can call it whatever you want. Call it a carbon tax, call it a happy day tax, call it, you know, su you know, support whatever tax. Okay. A tax is a tax. So that's money that's being peeled off and that goes to pay for, uh, you know, uh, all the things in, in the government. You know, we're talking about prices and stuff, DJ. Yeah. So I, I know you, you alluded to this or you, you, you mentioned uh, the whole, what is it, uh, 12, uh, $12 a gallon, like, holy crap, that's ridiculous. I, I remember the last time I checked, I think it was, they were saying maybe 3 to $6 per gallon, which if you're sitting in the Middle East, that's, <laughs> that's uh, actually pretty cheap because uh, you don't have to pay to, you know, send uh, people out to get fuel and bring it to you. But uh, when it comes to your your rigs sitting out uh, offshore and whatnot, uh, and and supplying fuel uh, for people to use, uh, like in the U.S., let's say, uh, how cheap would it have to be per volume of fuel uh, to compete with uh, petroleum derived fuels? I don't think it has to be that much cheaper. Um, only a little bit cheaper. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot. You don't have to be much cheaper for everyone to buy your stuff. You know, I, years ago I used to sell cars and, you know, I'd be dealing with like a, a $50,000 car and somebody would, would say, you know what, I want a price on this car. And then you give them the price and they go off and they get someone else's price and they call you back and they're like, I'm going to go buy my car from this other dealer because they beat you by $50. $50 on a $50,000 car, okay? The only reason why that other dealership won is because they beat us $50 on a $50,000 car. It didn't take much right. to, take, to take the business away. So we don't have to be significantly cheaper, just a teeny bit cheaper than everyone else. Especially, <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead. Especially with a commodity like gasoline, you, whatever's right. cheapest will win out. Yeah. So the important thing here is that, you know, it, it's, it's the investor that really matters because it's, it's what is going to be cheaper for the investor. From my perspective, that, that's what matters. So wh what, yeah. is the, wh what is going to be the biggest payoff for the lowest investment over time? And I think the advantage you know, that we're offering over the status quo method of producing uh, gasoline, for example, you know, we, we don't have to, the, the, that whole entire process of pumping the oil up, putting it over to shore, processing it for, you know, in a, in a refinery, like that's all going to be eliminated. The refinery is going to be right on site. So we can either run up a, a pipeline or load ships, you know, right with the, the, the right product, you know, the raw, the raw material. So if, if we're synthesizing gasoline, you know, it would still need to have the additives put into it. You know, if you buy like shell gasoline, you know, they put their additives in it and that's their, 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 their formula for their gas. If you buy Exxon, it's, 
their formula because they put their additives. Right. So there's still like, you know, we're, we're looking to just sell to the wholesale market and then, you know, whoever buys it can do, you know, make it their own however they want. So we're just focusing on producing the baseline product. So we're not interested in having Poseidon atomic gas stations, you know, up right. and down the freeways. So we're, we're not trying to disrupt things that way. We're just looking to, yeah. um, change the way that the, the carbon, you know, hydrocarbons are produced on the back end. I can imagine um, a company like say BP or something or shell just like advertising, like we're the first, like we have, our, our fuels uh, comes from uh, completely carbon neutral sources. Like, of course, everyone else would be jumping on board. But right. <laughs> well, I would hope that you know when they when when companies start to understand, you know, I mean, there are always virtue signaling with yeah. like things that don't even really exist. You know, like we're we're using, um, you know, we're 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 growing algae to figure out new ways to. Oh yeah, like your green slime is really going to save the world, like really. Which right. You guys when, know what I'm talking about. What would exactly save the world is a gasoline you can fill up your car with and not feel like you're contributing to climate change, or yeah. and then you literally aren't, and it's just like, oh, you don't have money for an electric car. You like your gas car better. Well, if your gas is clean, who cares? Yeah. So I mean, what we're offering, you know, for the public. You know, it's a it's a solution to climate change for the investor. We're offering a way to basically get a better bang for your buck on investment over a long term. The average price of gasoline is about a dollar a gallon. That's that's the ten year average on the wholesale. At grocery on wholesale, got it. Yeah, on the wholesale market. That's before they put the additives in or anything like that. So if one facility can produce a half a billion gallons a year, that's, you know, just roughly a half a billion dollars worth of revenue per year. Kind of guessing that it's going to be maybe around $3 billion per platform. Essentially, what we're looking at is about a six-year payoff where, you know, the entire capital costs are recovered within six years. So the only thing you have to worry about at that point is your operational costs. Yeah. And then you've got another 34 years of operation. Yeah, I mean, if you can just get the price to like, heck, if you got it to like 70 cents a gallon for the fuel wholesale price, you'd win. You'd just win automatically. I mean, I think we have to go that far. I mean, if if it's if the average price is 90, you know, is uh, say a dollar, we're at 98 cents. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone would want one ours instead of theirs. Exactly. I'm curious if it would stay pretty stable as well compared to from other sources, the, the, the costs. Um, have you factored that in? Like, because I mean, it's just sitting out there churning it out. Like, what's what what changes? But uh, the cost of the the labor. <laughs> what changes the cost of labor? I'm, no, I'm saying uh, that that's probably your only thing that's going to continually creeping or keep creeping up. I mean, you don't have to pay for fuel yeah. really over forty years. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about drying up an oil well and having to build another one. You know. Um, I, I can tell you what we'll have to worry about. I mean, there are things that we that are going to be unique to this situation. Mm-hmm. If we're we're pumping 120,000 gallons uh, a minute, so we, we have to make sure that we're not drawing up the life that lives in the ocean. Sea <laughs> okay? creatures, yeah, yeah, and the, you know, there's there's big creatures and there's there's minuscule creatures, and we don't want any of that. 
so the biggest challenge to this whole project, I would say, is uh, you know from an engineering standpoint, is how do we filter the water as it's coming in at such a high volume with the lowest impact? That's probably my biggest mm -hmm. concern. Uh, how does it compare to for a normal nuclear plant when it comes to the, the volumes of water? Oh, I don't think any anything out there. The only thing that that's pumping this kind of volume of water is the uh, the 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 levee system or, or what have you down in uh, Louisiana. The Army Corps of Engineers installed this massive water pump to mm. from uh, Hurricane Katrina and that whole disaster. So they they came up with a new way to or a new a new levee system. And they have a, they install this like massive, massive water pump. Yeah, just going through all that quantity of water, that's, that seems like the main, main challenge of these machines that you want to build for sure. Yeah. So it would be, I mean, the, the pumps that we're, we'd have to be working with are going to be pretty massive. Right. So that, that's going to be another engineering challenge. Well, that brings, brings up the, uh, the next question. What, what kind of experts are you looking to have to hire to collaborate to? design such a machine like who would you bring in you know probably the the first thing that we're looking at is the whole thermal dynamic balance you know because we've got all these different systems that would all be competing for you know their share of the energy so it's it, it's it's kind of mind-boggling for me to to try to like work it out in my head like how that would look you you'd so need a literal need... thermodynamicist yeah and so, you know, people that are experts in hydrodynamics, um, inorganic chemists, mm -hmm. uh, and organic chemists, too, because you're okay. Technically, it's a carbon-based. Sorry, I'm just a nerd here. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. Do hydrocarbons qualify as inorganic or organic chemistry? I don't even know. Organic chemistry. Okay. Huh, all right. Yep. And uh, I mean, you know, there's there's just a, you know, it's we're basically looking to put this thing on something that would look like an oil platform to some degree, maybe much bigger. So people familiar with building these huge structures. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just just to get the the general schematic going where it's going to, you know, cost probably a million dollars just to kind of figure that out. Oh, probably probably more than that. Like look at look at all of the the uh, costs for like new scale. Most of them are regulatory though, so hopefully you guys could, you know, bypass some of that stuff. But Oh, I doubt it. I mean yeah. we're definitely gonna have to I mean we're gonna have to hire a law firm at some point to navigate <laughs> yeah. all of yeah. all of, locate all of those it regulations. next to DC and yeah. Yeah. You gotta yeah. you gotta protect yourself against Attacks from what is it the the Rainbow Warrior ship the Greenpeace ship they'll they'll come after you. Oh, I'll fuel them up. You'll fuel them up. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, I'll I'll give them free fuel. I'll, I'll pat them on their back and just say, "Good job, guys, protecting the whales. I love you. Thanks." Right. Yeah, you'll. It's definitely you'll definitely have your fair share of experts to consult. So. Speaking of uh, yeah, bringing in people, uh, uh, how much funding do you need just to just to get that first team mobilized? 
You know, so really, it's kind of hard to say because on one side, like nothing that I'm talking about is we're not talking about putting something on Mars. Okay, we don't have to really not really invent anything new. There's nothing, nothing that I'm talking about, at least on the chemical side, has to be invented. This is pretty much all off the shelf technology. So it's really a question of like how to best fit all of these technologies together for this unique mission. Um, I can tell you, you know, the nuclear reactor is probably going to be somewhere around for the actual first facility is going to be about uh, 500 million, roughly. For for the for the uh, for the reactor or like the whole the whole platform. The reactor. Okay. So and, and I think you did quote earlier. You said maybe like what'd you say? Three billion. Three billion per thing. Oh yeah. Kind yeah. of what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, right. if you, I'm just kind of generalizing this off of looking at the cost of oil platforms. You know, because it's like the closest thing to what we're going for. It would look something like an oil platform. Big ass probably reactor. Probably bigger. It. Yeah. The the reactor would actually be under would be dry, mind you. Yeah. It would be like in a cylinder, but it would be below the water line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yep. it would it would act as the ballast for this thing. And we would have water. Uh, we, we really want to avoid pumping water up above the water line because that takes a lot more energy. So I know that much. We want to, we want to have, we're going to have to pump the water in such a way where, that we're not, where we're equalizing the propulsion. So there's going to have, it's, we're going to have to either, we're going to have to draw it up and then disperse it evenly in a 360 manner. Otherwise, we're going to have propulsion. And yep. We don't want to move, and we don't want to have to struggle against, you know, one way or the other. We just want to. So we we probably need to have the propulsion like pushing, pushing the platform up. I'm thinking, mm. but there's going to be some level of propulsion because there's going to be this all this water moving. It's got to come and it's got to go, and so that's that's a a weird thing to think about. Um, and then above the waterline, that's where the chemical factory is going to be. Okay, and then and then there's the question of how is it going to be? You know, the fuels being produced. You know, how often is are we offloading it? What's the best way to do that? And the safest way, man. You know, the the safest way to offload it. We don't want to have accidents out at sea. I don't want to have ships bumping into it into the platform. Right. So right. how do we tackle that one? So maybe we would pipe the the fuel to an, another platform. I, I don't know. So there's a lot of things to think about. Maybe we pipe it all the way to shore. I don't know. But um, so yeah, there's 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 a lot of unknowns still. There's a lot to be explored. But you know, this is not as complicated as putting someone on Mars. It's not as complicated as putting a million people on Mars. That's for sure. Right. Well, I, and we're talking seriously about doing that right now. So I actually heard Elon Musk say something like that. And I'm not the biggest fan of Elon Musk, but he said something like, you know, like entrepreneurship 101, greatly underestimate the complexity of what you're working on because it's it always ends up adding up after a while. Like, yeah, like it'll it'll 
it'll come up and it'll kick your ass. See, I've had the benefit as a kid, you know, as a very young kid, I remember General Motors, they had their 75th anniversary. And my uh, grandfather was like somebody who was wearing like a, a shirt and tie at one of these factories. And um, we took a day off from school to, and grandpa gave us a tour of the factory. And it was, this is like in the mid 1980s. I think it was like 1984, 85. I mean, it was pretty mind blowing f for a kid. And, and even like when I think back on it now, I'm like, you know, I can't believe, you know, I saw my first robot back in 1984. I, I saw multiple robots back then. Because General Motors, they were using robots way back in the 80s to build cars. I saw these like huge presses. So, I mean, I, I might have a slightly better idea of how complicated things can get just from, you know, my family's involvement in the automobile industry from such a young age. You know, I had another uncle who owned a, a plastics factory um, down in Indiana. It was like a... You've seen some, some hardcore manufacturing. As a young kid, yeah. yeah. With yeah. this be built then are, are you thinking uh shipyard type construction just churn, churning them out type of i i've seen that with ideas out there yeah um so you know we're, we're primarily interested in getting as much done inside the united states as possible you, you know if we have to go looking elsewhere for talent then you know of course we'll do what we have to but if if we can shop in the US first, then that's what we're going to do. Um, but the, the biggest oil platform producers are Norway and uh, I believe it's like Indonesia or something like that. Yeah, so we're, we'll, we'll be looking at shipbuilders here in the US. Um, but we, you know, the idea is to, to, you know, build as much as we can, you know, at a pier or shipping dock and then drag the pieces out. Basically, that's what they do for oil platforms. You know, we're also looking at probably moving shop to like Texas. So maybe the Gulf Coast is kind of like, it's either going to be the Gulf Coast or the East Coast is going to be the most likely like starting point for Poseidon Atomic. So, so who would you say would be most likely to invest in a company like yours? You know, I would say, you know, anybody that's, you know, maybe concerned about the environment, um, mm -hmm. any investor that wants to be, you know, what I consider the future of the world economy, um, you know, maybe Elon Musk, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He, he put this thing out last week. He said that he's looking for the best decarbonization um, idea. So I, I think nobody has got a better plan than this personally. Decarbonating and decarbonizing and Using Decarbonizing the, the economy. Yeah. 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 Using. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Recycling carbon is basically what we're looking to do um, with uh, with what people consider garbage, nuclear waste. You know, all this nuclear waste is sitting around. We've got enough of enough nuclear waste to power the entire world for like two thousand years. Oh, it's nuts. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that people think this is junk. You know, when, when Rockefeller really took his company to the next level, Standard Oil, you know, at, at, when he started his, his Standard Oil, it was focused on 
competing against whale blubber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there was, they, they had these lamps, all the lamps were po powered by whale blubber. And then Standard Oil came along and like, we're going to power all of these lamps with kerosene. And they were focused on kerosene. So they would process oil into kerosene. And as a, an extra unusable byproduct was gasoline. So they were just dumping it. <laughs> okay. They just can't, they didn't have a use for it. So it was just getting dumped into streams, literally. So then there was so much of it getting dumped that Rockefeller approached Henry Ford and said, could you come up with an engine that burns this stuff? Because if you can, we'll, we'll make a lot of money. And, and the light bulb was starting to cut into the, the oil selling pro, uh, part of things. They had to find a new way to diversify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that um, makes sense. And, and you, 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 you talk about the fossil fuel industry. Dare I say, you know, somebody like ExxonMobil or Shell invested something like your company? You know, I mean, I would think that they would be all about this. Yeah. I mean, it, it would keep their, their current business model essentially, you know, on the, I guess they, they call, they call it upstream. That's basically when they're, when they drill for the oil and they get it to the refinery, that's the upstream. So we're looking to completely revolutionize that part of it. We, we, we won't need uh, refineries anymore. Okay, so that whole thing can just go away. But the, everything beyond that is, is completely usable. You know, we, we can synthesize hydrocarbons like gasoline exactly the way the market wants it. So, I mean, it can mix with, with the current, you know, status quo gasoline or kerosene or... or uh, Jet fuel. Yeah. Rocket fuel. Yeah. Diesel. JP5. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Elon Musk should invest in something like this just to produce the kerosene he needs for his rockets. Yeah, he yeah. can have carbon neutral rockets. <laughs> well, we could even, you know, we could even, you know, because basically what we're planning on doing is just pumping the oxygen, the lion's share of the oxygen back into the ocean. You know, if you ever look at like aquariums, like those saltwater aquariums, you've got those those bubble makers, you know, it's like basically just forcing air into the into the water to bring in fresh oxygen so the, the fish don't suffocate. That'd be cool. So that's basically what we're looking to do. We're going to take, because we're going to have, the, the our byproduct is going to be oxygen. So we're just going to re-impregnate the ocean with a higher pH water and oxygen, oxygenated water. And if so more it, oxygen in the atmosphere, it won't hurt anyone. So we'll, we'll have plenty of oxygen to sell off mm. to, you know, companies like the SpaceX. If yeah. they want hydrogen, we could supply all the hydrogen they want. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that would just be like a fraction of what we're right. producing. So. But you would, um, we'd speckled the ocean with these things. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, if you think about it, if we could just get like 28, 30 of these would supply all of the gasoline for the United States. I mean, we're not really talking, we wouldn't really need that many for like a worldwide project 
to you know fuel everybody's needs. There's, I mean, there's there's far more than thirty uh, gas, you know, like oil rigs out at sea. There's probably more than thirty within like a hundred square miles inside the Gulf of Mexico right now. Oh, here, here's one thing I just realized you should be aware of is uh, the reason why they have oil refineries in every city is they use they because the oil is very concentrated. Then once you purify it, it's very dilute. Like in terms of it produces a lot of gallons of gasoline per thing of oil, um, you would have a a volume issue too, like uh, like having to carry gasoline like inland and stuff uh, compared to just like bringing oil in and then distributing it from there. You know. Yep. I mean, I know there's a there's a big refinery area in Texas and I know there's one somewhere on the East coast and I think there's one in California. The, there, I mean, the way they were, they do refining, refining is pretty, pretty centralized to like a few areas of the country and, and nobody is able to refine like we do. That's there's even like countries in the middle East, they ship their oil over to the U S we refine it and then ship the gasoline back to them so they can consume it in their cars. It's insane. But that's true. <laughs> it would definitely serve the coastal areas first better. Like, and most cities are by the like many cities are by the coast anyway. So, yeah, I haven't really. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't really looked too hard at the distribution part of it. Um, only a, a, I've just taken like a very shallow look at it, but I don't really know enough about it to be that confident in what I'm talking about. But. Um, but you know, back back to like who who should be investing in this. You know, I would definitely say you know Exxon Mobil, Shell, you know BP. Those big big oil companies should definitely be taking a look at what we're talking about doing because it will a it will increase their profit margins. It's going to increase their production, and it's you know it doesn't matter how rich you are. You know if 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 the if the the world's environment is a complete mess, you know, no matter how rich you are, what do you do? Live in a spacesuit? Yeah, right. You know, put have your kids like walking around in spacesuits here on Earth, like that look like a. <laughs> a looks you like want a to live in. Baseline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, so I mean, it's in everybody. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It's in your best interest to, you know, get with the program. Because wealth will not protect you against, you know, the worst case scenarios of climate change. So, um, got a question for you. So, uh, I I know I know there's others out there that are, that are thinking about this. What 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 keeps them from from stealing your idea? I've I've really thought carefully about you know why I should be telling the world about this plan because I've had people say you know say to me you know don't don't talk about this. This is too good of an idea. Um, and, and people will, will, will take the idea for themselves. Number one, I don't mind that. I, I don't mind the idea that other, other people are thinking about it and talking about it and, and, and looking for ways to make synthetic fuels based off of nuclear energy. Number one, if I, if, if I did keep it to myself or, you know, we kept it in a very small circle 
And then let's say I got in a car accident or something like that. And all of a sudden I'm not able to advance my plan. Then there's a risk that the plan would just die with me. Um, so that, that would be terrible. And, but here's the real, the, the real reason why I'm not worried about anyone stealing this idea is because if, if you don't have the Elysium reactor, I don't think you're going to be able to be competitive with fossil fuel. It's the Elysium reactor is the key to success in this whole thing, because you don't have to fuel it for four decades. It runs off of nuclear waste. The reactor is very small and very, very powerful. Five gigawatts in thermal energy. That's an incredible amount of energy for such a small package that can fit into a platform that's out at sea. So it, so, it just ties into that reactor design just so nicely that, you know, that's, that's the secret ingredient. The, the only way you're going to steal this idea is just to steal Elysium away from me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we've kind of reached the end of our time here today. Uh, do you have anywhere listeners can go to learn about Poseidon Atomic or you? I, I have a pretty shallow website right now. Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me, you know, I'm John Otera Adams um, on, on LinkedIn uh, or Poseidon Atomic on LinkedIn. If anybody has any questions, you're welcome to shoot me an email. I'm uh, Jonah Adams at PoseidonAtomic.com. That's J-O-N-A dot A-D-A-M-S at P-O-S-E-I-D-O-N Atomic.com. Um, more than happy to answer any questions. And, uh, you know, hopefully in the next six months, we're going to have a more robust like media campaign videos that kind of explain, you know, where we're planning on going and things like that. All right. In the well, meantime, I'm just relying on social media and my email. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Jana, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks a bunch, Jana. We'll, we'll talk to you later. I really appreciate you guys. Let me do this and now I'll go ahead and edit the show. No, no problem. <laughs> now get, no, to no, get back in the other seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So. That was a fun conversation with Jana. We hope Poseidon Atomic sees progress in achieving their goals. Such a piece of technology would be truly remarkable and would help solve a critical part of the fossil fuel emissions problem. Totally. As we have all heard before, a great journey must begin with a single step. Poseidon has a long road ahead, and we wish the company the best. Bold ideas like this are what we need to address such large issues like climate change. Bill, what was your main takeaway from the conversation? Um, as the title of this episode suggests, I love the idea of totally rethinking the oil rig. If such a technology Jana suggests comes to fruition, it would totally change how we think about the energy supply. Instead of being something based on a diminishing resource marred with pollution issues, we could think of it as inexhaustible and clean. We could evolve past the idea of an extractive economy and towards the idea of a circular economy. I can imagine hundreds of these things speckling the seas, tirelessly and safely producing hydrocarbons with no climate side effects. What a dramatic improvement that would be over the stinking, dirty black sludge we call oil. How about you, DJ? What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, a big 
thing that was running through my mind is how there have been many nuclear companies that have entered the playing field. I think that at this point, uh, it's kind of a more the merrier type of situation. I think that it's super important that are, there are several nuclear companies considering getting into the synthetic fuels game. If we can achieve cost-effective carbon-neutral fuels, that's a game-changer. I love that there are great minds coming to this realization. Absolutely. We want to thank our guest, John Adams, for coming on and talking about Poseidon Atomic and decarbonizing the transportation sector. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode entitled Beyond the Oil Rig. This is Phil Ord and DJ LeClear signing off. If you like what you heard and want more content, you can support Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix podcast on a per episode basis with Patreon. Link in the description. To support Americans for Nuclear Energy and our general mission, visit our website at www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. All words. Again, that's www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. We have a link to donate with PayPal under the Mobilize page. You can also purchase some Americans for Nuclear Energy swag under our store page. This will really help us pay for the little things, especially online service fees, to keep our organization running. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. Lastly, we really want your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and concerns. We have a message form on our website under the About section. Or you could email us directly at main at americansfornuclearenergy.org. All words. Again, that's main at americansfornuclearenergy.org. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix podcast. We'll see you next time. Edited and produced by Jonna Adams.